Disney has officially announced that it will be delaying the release of its much-mocked, cartoonishly-lib live-action remake of Snow White, or Sand Beige, as I call it, given the emphasis on diversity casting. I'm not saying that Jeremy Boring is single-handedly responsible for Disney's delay. I don't know that he did it single-handedly. But I'm quite confident that if, say, seven hands were involved, at least six of them were Jeremy's. For a comparison, here is Disney's new Snow White. You said you were bringing a modern edge to it on stage. What do you mean by that? I just mean that it's no longer 1937. And we absolutely wrote a Snow White that is... not going to be saved by the prince. She's not going to be saved by the prince. And she's not going to be dreaming about true love. She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be. Sounds great. Here's our Snow White. By 2030, it's predicted that 45% of women will be unmarried and childless. And why do you think that is? Well, it's because we have been told that, you know, men are trash and that our career is the only thing that matters and that marriage and children will inhibit that, which is unnatural. That is biologically unnatural for women. That does sound great. I mean, what's happening is really bad. But the fact that our Snow White realizes that that's a problem and the girls actually do want a prince and they do want like normal stuff. That's a good sign. Disney is obviously reacting to the Daily Wire announcement that we will be releasing our version side by side with theirs. And Disney is also reacting to the terrible reaction that their remake has been getting among the public. And then the final nail in the coffin of this remake's release came by way of South Park just last week. I keep having the same dream. Everywhere I look, people are being replaced. Okay, and who do you think is going to have you replaced? Them. The puppet masters. The last time I had the dream, I was I was walking down the school hallway. <laughs> and then I see Butters. And he's like, hey, Eric, you want to see what my mom packed me for lunch? And that's when I start to notice that something's wrong. Everyone I cared about has been systematically replaced. And finally, I want to scream. And I'm like, why are they replacing every single character with someone who is diverse? But then Kenny's like, it's not our fault. It's because of Kathleen Kennedy. But then Kathleen Kennedy says, I Make it more lame. And everyone in town is like, no, please, Kathleen Kennedy, stop ruining everything. But Kathleen Kennedy is all like, put another gay diverse woman in it. Make it more lame. And the Disney stock just keeps going down and down and down. And then Bob Iger is all like, eh, no, what's going on with my stock? No, Kathleen Kennedy. Ah! <laughs> no, make it more lame. That is exactly what they're doing. And that is why we hate the diversity, equity, and inclusion casting and writing in movies. We don't hate it for the reason that the libs think. It's not that we conservatives, or forget conservatives, that we normal people are opposed to diversity exactly. What we oppose is dishonesty. The reason that we don't like it when Hollywood replaces every white guy with indigenous black lesbian pygmies is that that is not how the world really works. In the real world, not every white man is an idiot or a villain. Most white guys are actually pretty decent fellas. In the real world, not every woman or person of color or other type of self-styled aggrieved minority is perfect. Some of them, believe it or not, actually have complexity of character. In the real world, not every single romantic couple is interracial. It happens. I'm not opposed to it when it does. Some of my best friends are interracial couples. But it's rare. I looked it up. It's, it's like 8% of marriages. In movies and TV today, it's like 80%. In the real world, 
most people don't consider themselves gay or trans. In the real world, conservatives, believe it or not, are not always ignorant, stupid, malevolent hicks. Sometimes those things happen, so it's fine to depict it sometimes. But the problem with the new representation in Hollywood is that it doesn't represent reality. More often than not, it totally flips reality. And that is super duper lame. And so people tune the fantasists out and they start to tune into alternatives. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Get great meat at a secure price and 30 bucks off your order with my code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Knowles today. This is the first opportunity I've had on the show to discuss the incredible, juicy Good Ranchers double cheeseburger that sweet little Elisa made me the other night. It was just so mouthwatering and delicious. We'll get into Good Ranchers more a little bit later. We will also get into the New Yorker who has gone viral for bullying a pro-Hamas guy. And everyone likes this clip, especially people on the right. But people on the right are having trouble articulating why they like this clip because it contradicts a lot of things that we have been saying in recent years that were kind of BS, cancel culture and all that. We'll get into it. First, though, speaking of costumes and diversity, Halloween is upon us. And a New Jersey school district has canceled Halloween celebrations. This New Jersey school district has banned costumes from the schools because of concerns over diversity, equity, and inclusion. The decision was made by Superintendent Ronald Taylor of the South Orange and Maplewood School District, just west of Newark. The the costumes will be banned. Uh, There will be... be, uh, no Halloween celebrations during school hours. Here's why. Quote, each year questions arise from families, students, and staff about what SOMSD schools will be doing regarding Halloween. Is promoting school-sponsored Halloween activities creating indirect and unintentional financial hardships for students and families? Okay, first of all, you can throw a sheet on, cut out a couple of eyes, put like a little spooky mouth on it or something, and you're a ghost. Or you could, you could, you could just draw... Like, you know, a little scar on your face and put a couple fake nails in your neck and your Frankenstein. It's not that expensive to do some kind of costume. Uh, Do school-sponsored Halloween activities violate the dignity of some of our students and families, either culturally or religiously? Okay, that's actually what they're concerned about. If if a white kid wears a sombrero, is it going to be an international incident and everyone's going to get fired and canceled for it? Does the promotion of school-sponsored Halloween activities create tensions with the equity and access values of SOMSD. I don't even know what that means. That's just that that's just like blah 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 gobble gobble gooby gook nonsense gibberish to follow their actual concern. This is actually slight digression. This is what happens in Washington when uh, staffers are presenting policy options to a principal, to, you know, a a congressman or a president or something, is they'll give three options. 
And the first one is not a good option. The second one is the only workable option. And the third option is also not workable. It doesn't make any sense. And so it's like a policy sandwich where the person has to pick the one in the middle. That's like here. They say, well, maybe it's too expensive, but no, that's not a good excuse. And well, it violates multiculturalism and DEI and political correctness. That's what they're actually concerned about. And then the third one, it creates tensions with equity and access values. That's not even, is that's barely English. That's barely a semantically meaningful sentence. But it's about, it's about DEI. And why is it about DEI? It, it does go beyond just wokeness. It does go beyond just political correctness here. It actually starts to hint at a problem with diversity as the highest possible value. Because if you have nothing holding you all together as a society, then you're not going to be able to have shared festivals. You're not going to be able to have any shared ritual at all. It'll be misinterpreted. You won't, you won't have the ability to interpret anything you're saying because you're going to be speaking different languages. You're going to have totally different sets of beliefs. You're going to value totally different things. That is actually a problem with diversity. So in the United States, it used to be the case that when we would take people in, we would just insist that they assimilate to our culture and share our beliefs and just get with the program and drop their native languages and drop their native traditions and just get on board with what we're doing. And if that's the case, then you don't need to worry about potentially offending the indigenous black lesbian Muslim pygmy that that doesn't like your Frankenstein costume for whatever reason, because you say, look, this is what we do. You come to this country, you get on board, you do what we do. You don't like it, leave. Then don't come. You know, we're not, we're not begging you to come here. You're the one who begged to come. So, you know, get on board with the program. But if your country exalts diversity as an end unto itself, if your country believes that any kind of conformity, especially a conformity to the native culture, is a bad thing, then you're not going to be able to do that. And then it's just all going to be super lame. It's not even that you're going to just come to a new agreement on what costumes are acceptable. You're going to just completely obliterate the old festival. And what you will replace it with is not new forms of Halloween costumes. You'll replace it with new festivals. So we no longer have Halloween. We no longer have Thanksgiving. That's, that's an indigenous people's day. We no longer have Columbus Day. That's another indigenous people's day. We no longer have Christmas. That's not allowed now in, in the public square. Or at least the liberals really want to keep it out of the public square. And instead, what do we have? We have Pride Month, we have Earth Day, we have all these other festivals that the liberals insist upon, which is super lame. It's just as lame as everything that Disney is doing. Now, speaking of ending things, there is a candidate who has finally dropped out of the presidential race. Who is it? Is it Asa Hutchinson? Is it Doug Burgum? Is it Chris Christie? No, it's the former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. I just couldn't sit this one out. But the Bible tells us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And traveling across the country over the past six months, I came here to say it's become clear to me this is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. This is the mature thing to do. Uh, Pence was giving a speech in front of the Republican Jewish coalition. There were a lot of other 
candidates who were speaking before that group. And so Pence says, okay, this is as good a time as any to say I'm dropping out of the race. The fact that Doug Burgum has made it longer in this race than Mike Pence has is a scandal. But neither of them are going to become president. And so what Mike Pence is doing here is what Scott Walker did in 2016, which is to say, okay, I gave it a good shot. I was in early, but there's no path to victory here. And so I could drag it out and get more publicity time and take a few more shots at Trump and maybe audition for a a cable news gig or something. But no, I don't want to do that. If I'm not going to be president, I'm out. And that's what Scott did in 2016. That's what Mike Pence is doing here. A very mature thing to do. What a lot of anti-Trump Republicans are hoping for here is that this will be the beginning of the other also-rans dropping out and therefore consolidating support against Donald Trump. But there's a little problem with that strategy, which was proven on the very same day that Pence dropped out. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, you know, Mike Pence is a very pro-life guy. And I'm a pro-life guy, and a lot of you are extremely pro-life. I hope all of you will become pro-life. But one of the great organizations out there helping women and advancing the cause of life is Preborn. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. Did you know that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist? Well, if not, I would recommend you look into her background. When you see the disproportionate number of abortion clinics located in black neighborhoods, it says it all. Thankfully, Preborn exists to bring mothers and babies together by providing free ultrasounds and many other amazing resources to expecting mothers. All services are free, and assistance is provided for up to two years. Preborn is truly life-changing, but don't just take my word for it. Listen to this powerful testimonial. I was sobbing. It was a, a cry for prayer for God. I'm so sorry, please. So I got on the internet and I looked up, how can you stop an abortion from only taking the first pill? And I just started seeing like abortion pill reverse. Is this real? And I found a hotline number. So I'm like, if please God, let me call this number be real. I called it and somebody actually answered the phone. Miss, I really need help. Um, I mistakenly took a pill and I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. Please. I just was like panicking. They get me started immediately on progesterone and told me everything, like, it's going to be okay. When I came here, I, it was the, my heart was so warm. Somebody would go as hard as if it was their children to make sure your child is going to be alive and stay safe. So I really want it. I want a lot of people to know it's, it's, it's possible. You can save your baby. You can reverse that abortion. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to stand up for the babies and mothers who need our help. One ultrasound is just $28 and $140 will help rescue five babies. Preborn has a 100% charity rating so you can give with confidence. Let's join together and help mothers in crisis choose life. Just dial pound 250, say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, say baby, or visit preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is preborn.com slash Knowles, Canada W-L-E-S. So the theory is Pence drops out. Pretty soon, all the other also-rans are going to drop out, and that's going to consolidate the race down to just one or two or maybe three anti-Trump candidates. And then with all that extra support, they're going to bring a real challenge to Donald Trump. They're going to kick him out of his top spot for the Republican nomination, and then everything will be hunky-dory. The reason I'm skeptical of that strategy is Pence wasn't the only person to drop out of the race over the weekend. Our pal Larry Elder also dropped out of the race. Larry failed to make it to the debates. He almost made it to the first debate. 
unfortunately, his the poll that had him above the threshold did not count because it had done work with Donald Trump. So Larry was excluded kind of on a technicality and the campaign wasn't going to go anywhere. So Larry drops out. But when Larry dropped out, unlike Mike Pence, Larry endorsed Donald Trump. He says, it is time to unite behind real Donald Trump to beat Joe Biden. So, okay, Pence is out, obviously not endorsing Trump. Larry's out, he's endorsing Trump. The question is, who will the other candidates endorse when they inevitably drop out? Chris Christie's not going to endorse Trump. What about uh, Doug Burgum? I don't know. I don't know who Burgum's going to endorse. What about Asa Hutchinson? Probably he won't endorse Trump. So you could, he could give his support to the non-Trump candidate. What about, oh, I don't know, Tim Scott. I don't know who Tim Scott's going to endorse. Look, maybe Tim Scott gets the nomination, probably unlikely. I don't, I don't know. Would he, if, he, if he were to drop out, would Tim Scott endorse Ron DeSantis? Would Tim Scott endorse Nikki Haley? Or would Tim Scott endorse Trump? You don't really know. What about Nikki? If Nikki were to drop out, would she endorse DeSantis or Trump? A lot of people say, oh, she would endorse DeSantis. She's, I'm not so sure about it. She worked for Donald Trump. She said very nice things about Donald Trump. She said she wouldn't run for president if Trump were running for re-election. If Trump is looking like the stronger candidate, a lot of the also-rans are going to endorse Trump. As, as of now, Nikki's going to run hard against Trump because she wants to take the nomination from him. But if it ever came to the point where she says she's not going to win, I don't know. DeSantis obviously cannot endorse Trump because he has, he has made himself the chief anti-Trump candidate in the race. But if the DeSantis campaign is counting on the other candidates dropping out and just one by one endorsing him, I'm not convinced that's going to happen. Because what, what would happen is, especially if Trump is still looking dominant in the polls, he'll just offer them something. He'll say, oh, you could be this cabinet position. You could potentially be my running mate. You could do this, that, or the other thing. And politicians are very good at pursuing their own interest. And if they're getting a good offer from Trump, they're not going to endorse DeSantis. So now probably the DeSantis campaign is going to be working behind the scenes, trying to get these candidates to drop out to say, if you endorse me, I'll make you secretary of state if you do this, that, or the other thing. But it's going to be much more persuasive if his polling gets better. So it's a little bit of a, of a catch-22 for, for Ron DeSantis right here. He needs the other candidates to drop out and endorse him for his poll numbers to go up to beat Trump. But the only way he's going to convince them to endorse him is if his poll numbers already start to move up and they think that they've got a, sh a surer bet in DeSantis than with Trump. Is that strategy going to work? I'm not convinced. But that is the, that is the last-ditch strategy for, the, for any anti-Trump candidate is, okay, the anti-Trump candidates need to drop out, consolidate the field around one anti-Trump candidate. I just don't know that that is going to happen. Now, as for the other candidates still in the race, as for Nikki Haley, Nikki just came out, big shot at the uh, educational establishment. She said that these schools that are su the supporting groups that are supporting Hamas and terrorism, we're going to defund them when I'm president. Here's what she said. You can't fight anti-Semitism if you can't define it. Joe Biden and the left refused to call anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism. So uh, belief opposition to the belief that the nation state of Israel has a right to exist where it exists. Uh, if a school won't call that anti-Semitism, so just overt, bigoted Jew hatred, 
then as president, I will change the official federal definition of anti-Semitism to include denying Israel's right to exist. And I will pull schools' tax exemption status if they do not combat anti-Semitism in all of its forms in accordance with federal law. College campuses are allowed to have free speech, but they are not free to spread hate that supports terrorism. Federal law requires schools to combat anti-Semitism. We will give this law teeth and we will enforce it. The United States of America will not use taxpayer dollars to fund anti-Semitism, period. The October 7th massacre in Israel and the ensuing weeks have proven what many of us have long known. There is no difference between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. In order to combat anti-Semitism, we have to define it, and that starts at the top. So she's saying uh, opposition to the nation-state of Israel, existential opposition— is tantamount to any other kind of Jew hatred that we've seen throughout all of history. And as president, I'm going to use federal law to stamp that out. And a a lot of people are attacking Nikki here for uh, opposing free speech or violating the First Amendment or whatever. But then other people are saying, no, look, it's it's a school, it's a university. People have free speech, but they don't have the right to federal funding for their free speech. They don't have a right to materially support terrorism, as some people are calling this. I love the idea in principle. This is exactly what I was talking about in my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. My only problem with what Nikki is proposing here is, why stop here? My only problem with what Nikki is proposing here is, it doesn't go nearly far enough. Now, when you want your dog to go further in life and health, you got to check out Rough Greens. Right now, go to roughgreens.com slash Michael. Naturopathic doctor Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Dog food may as well be dead food since it contains very little nutritional value. Let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. Okay, I've got a stepbrother who has this dog. And you know, I'm, you know lukewarm on my stepbrother, but the dog is a nice enough dog. And so I made sure to send that dog some really good stuff from Rough Greens. Just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. How many more words to start with R can I find? It improves bad breath. It supports healthy joints. It boosts energy levels. Right now, Dr. Dennis Black is so confident that this will improve your dog's health. He's offering our listeners a free jumpstart trial bag. Get a free Jumpstart trial bag delivered straight to your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Michael or call 844-RUFF-123. That is ruffgreens.com slash Michael or call 844-RUFF-RUFF-123 today. You have been asking us for an alternative in kids' media. It's finally here. The Daily Wire has just launched Bent Key, our brand new kids' entertainment platform. We are sick of Hollywood pushing leftist propaganda on our kids, and now there's finally an answer for those looking for children's shows that we can trust. Bent Key is dedicated to creating the next generation of timeless stories that transport kids into a world of adventure, imagination, and joy. This is exactly what parents have been waiting for. The content is amazing. It's high quality. It's fun. My kids love it. I could never have imagined that The Daily Wire was going to provide all of this for our members without increasing the annual price of membership. In fact, I suggested that they do increase the annual price of membership because it's very expensive content. But the DW exec said, nope, we're doing it for free. This is the greatest value add that we have ever given. It's a $99 value that you get totally free 
which goes to show that we don't just talk about changing culture. We put it into action. We really believe in what we're doing. If you are already a Daily Wire Plus member, you already have Bent Key. Just download the app to start streaming now. If you're not a member, there's never been more value to joining than right now. You get all of the Daily Wire Plus content that you know and love, plus Bent Key at no additional cost. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe right now to start streaming the next generation of kids' entertainment. So Nikki Haley is saying, anti-Zionism, opposition to the historical movement of Zionism and the return of Jews from all around the world to the Holy Land and the establishment of the state of Israel, that that is tantamount to Jew hatred, and it's going to spill out into horrific events like we saw on October 7th when Hamas comes over and and exercises a pogrom of Jews, just slaughters people, rapes pillages, kills, and burns. And the the fact that this is being celebrated on American university campuses means we need to defund these campuses. We need to pull the grants. It's not not a curtailing of free speech. Rather, it is a refusal to pay for the support of terrorism. We're going to enforce the law to do it. Okay. Tim Scott said a similar thing. Tim Scott said the same thing about Pell Grants and anti-Semitism. My only issue with this is why stop at anti-Semitism? This is the, this is the thesis of my book, the, the book with words. Why, yes, of course we have the right to set standards. Yes, of course we, the people, through our elected representatives, have the right to set norms and standards, and we don't need to tolerate pro-Hamas clubs at universities. Duh. But if we're going to wield this power, why would we not also wield it against the anti-white indoctrination that takes place on every university campus in America that tells students that whiteness is evil, that, that being a white person is a social pathology that needs to be abolished, that white people are evil? In some cases, you have, you've had professors describe white people as the ice people. I'm thinking of Professor Jeffries, infamous at CUNY. Who's actually whose nephew is Hakeem Jeffries now, who's the Democrat leader in the U.S. Congress, that, that white people are the evil ice people and black people are the people of the sun, and that's why we need to abolish whiteness. Why not, if we're going to wield government power to curtail people's opinions and discourage them on campus, why would we stop at anti-Semitism? Certainly we should keep going to the anti-white indoctrination that is, that is evil and base and obviously racist and not fit for a proper education. What about the anti-male indoctrination? All of these university campuses teach people that masculinity is toxic and men need to be feared and frankly gelded if we're going to have a good society. What about the anti-Christian indoctrination that takes place on every university campus in America? How about we start pulling funding because of that too? While while a lot of people on the right are criticizing Nikki and Tim Scott for curtailing free speech in the effort to oppose anti-Semitism, I think we need to recognize that all societies have standards, all societies have norms. And here, while we should obviously oppose anti-Semitism, we should also oppose anti-whiteness. We should also oppose anti-masculinity, anti-manliness. We should certainly oppose anti-Christianity. Let's start, we're going to wield that power. Let's wield it, baby. Let's not wield it just a little tiny bit. Let's wield it, let's do it with our whole chests. Let's wield it in a way that is in line with the American political tradition and that is conducive to virtue and human flourishing. Now, Governor DeSantis has said a similar thing. He's come out and said, we need to defund these pro-Hamas groups, pro-Palestine groups on college campuses. They're providing material support to terrorism. And that is why 
when we use the government to shut them up, it's not cancel culture. This is not cancel culture. Uh, this group, they themselves said in the aftermath of the Hamas attack that they don't just stand in solidarity, that they are part uh, of this Hamas movement. And so, yeah, you have a right to go out and demonstrate, but you can't provide material support to terrorism. They've linked themselves to Hamas. And so we absolutely decertified them. Uh, they should not get one red cent of taxpayer dollars. Uh, and we also have strong laws in Florida against fundraising for groups like Hamas. And we are enforcing those vigorously. It's not a First Amendment issue. That's a material support to terrorism issue. Governor DeSantis is a very smart man. He's generally right on virtually all of the issues. And he's a politician running for president. And so sometimes politicians oversimplify. Sometimes for the sake of expedience, politicians say things that are not exactly true, but they broadly get the point across in the end. And I think this is one of those instances. I think conservatives are going to twist themselves into a hundred logical knots over trying to explain how wielding government power to censor pro-Palestine liberation groups is not cancel culture. Of course it's cancel culture. <laughs> if this is not cancel culture, I do not know what cancel culture is. And that's fine. It's fine, guys. I, the reason they have to twist themselves into knots is because they spent five years talking about how terrible cancel culture is. But some of us, you know, I hate to say I told you so, some of us did not spend five years talking about how great, how terrible cancel culture is. In fact, some of us spent a lot of time talking about how cancel culture is perfectly fine. It's ordinary. It's normal. Cancel culture is just a part of human behavior and political society. That it is not the act of canceling people that is good or bad, but it's what you cancel someone for. If you cancel somebody, if you ruin their reputation, you ostracize them from society, you persecute them, you drive them out of, of polite company because they say that men and women are different or because they say that they love their country or because they are Christian, or be, that, that's bad. But if you ostracize someone and you cancel them and you make them face professional or academic consequences for saying evil things and for doing evil things and supporting, I don't know, terrorists or something like that in this case, that's not a bad thing. That's called having standards. That's called being a society that discerns between good and evil, like all societies must. So they're all going to twist themselves into knots. No, no, this isn't cancel culture because when the, when the pro-Palestine liberation groups speak out, their very speech is providing material support to Hamas. Okay, whatever, sure. Whatever, whatever helps you guys sleep at night. But it is cancel culture and you're, you're seeding the argument that it's sometimes good to cancel people. And frankly, it is. You're right. I'm glad, I'm glad that, it, that it eventually, after five years, conservatives have come to admit this fact. So now let's, let's discern between good and bad and right and wrong and true and false. And let's wield that power in a just way. The left wields that power in a bad way toward ends that are destructive. We should wield it in a good way toward ends that are edifying. Great example of this just came out of New York City. Here is the classic New Yorker taking umbrage at the fact that some guy was tearing down posters of the missing hostages who were taken by Hamas. I'm telling you, right, don't do it. 
Jewish, he's not Jewish, I don't know if he is or not. It doesn't matter. This is US, that's New York City. You don't have a right to touch this. This is a free country. You can wave your Palestine flag and say death to the Jews or America whenever you want, but we can put up maybe it's because i am a new yorker myself but this kind of reaction i love it now, you know what the nerds and the eggheads and the ideologues are going to say. Even on the right, they're going to say, uh, but, uh, actually, uh, that man is threatening that other man's free speech. He's actually, we should be able to have a reasonable debate in the free marketplace of ideas. And you should, yeah, shut up, nerd. <laughs> I like that guy's argument more. When he goes, yeah, you're offending me, and I don't like that. So you stop ripping those signs down. And on top of offending all of us, you're littering. And in a minute, I'm going to litter your face on the floor if you don't put it back and get out of here. I love it. That's a beautiful thing. That's cancel culture. That's the good kind of cancel culture. This goes so much deeper than the war in the Middle East. Put the war in the Middle East. Put the horrific terror attack. Put the terrible situation where hostages are still being held by Hamas. Put all of those particular circumstances aside for a second. This is about the right of communities to set and enforce their own standards. The best thing that guy said there was, he goes, you're offending us, mother effer. And so many conservatives are going to say, well, you know, um, I, I don't have an obligation to respect your feelings. And actually, I could say whatever I want without consequences because we need to just have debates all the time. No, that's not really how political society works. We have the right to sensibilities. We have the right to preferences, not just individual preferences and sensibilities, but communal preferences and sensibilities. We have the right to standards and behavior. And that guy, that New York, classic New Yorker just coming out, he said, keep it up. Watch one more time. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. That is actually the right attitude. It reminds me of that base level of conservatism that even we think of New York as being very left wing. There is a base level of conservatism to a lot of New Yorkers. You see it right now. In, in New York, immigration is threatening the whole city because as this flood of migrants comes across, as we're going to take in, what, three, four million illegal immigrants this year, a lot of them are going to New York, and even the liberal Democrats are saying this is a big threat to the whole city. There was a poll that just came out. A large and growing majority of New Yorkers say that the illegal immigrants pose a, quote, serious problem. Almost 60% agree with the mayor, liberal Democrat mayor Eric Adams, who says that the migrants could, quote, destroy New York City. This is according to a Siena College poll. And this shouldn't be all that shocking. One, New Yorkers have a base level of conservatism largely because of foul-mouthed Italians. But two, immigration was always a bipartisan issue. It's only become hyper-partisan in the last 10 to 15 years where you had the Democrats saying that we need no limits on immigration whatsoever. We need totally unrestricted legal immigration. And frankly, we need totally unrestricted illegal immigration too. 
and the Republicans saying, well, actually, the best the Republicans could muster was, hey, stop that illegal immigration, but we can still take millions and millions more legal immigrants. But you still have that problem of assimilation. So now things are finally getting back to normal. Back in the 1990s, Bill Clinton was, at least he talked very tough on illegal immigration. So this is obviously terrible, but Republicans and Democrats agreed. And then it became a partisan ideological issue for a while. And as long as the the consequences of mass migration were only being felt in those border towns, only in those awful red states, the Democrats didn't care. Now that the illegal immigrants are being sent by people like Governor Abbott of Texas or Governor DeSantis of Florida, being sent to Martha's Vineyard, being sent to New York City, being sent to Chicago, being sent to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, now all of a sudden, the majority of everyone is agreeing, oh, wow, this poses a serious problem. Of course, of course. This actually, I know we consider immigration now to be a really hot button issue that no one wants to touch. There has, all, for most of American history, been broad bipartisan consensus on how too much migration is a very bad thing. And it seems that that consensus is coming back again. Now, when you want to stop, not, not bad political issues, but just bad pathogen issues from infecting your environment, you got to check out EnviroCleanse. Right now, go to ekpure.com, use code Knowles. Did you know that the flu season costs Americans over 11 billion, billion with a B, dollars every year? Kids get sick, they miss school. Parents stay home from work to take care of their kids. Then they get sick themselves. That's why we have EnviroCleanse in our office. We have right now a wonderful offer for our listeners, 30% off. Make sure to act fast since the sale is ending soon. EnviroCleanse is an in-home air purifying unit proven to capture and destroy flu viruses bacteria, toxins, mold, and allergens from your home. EnviroCleanse technology is so powerful, it was chosen to purify the air systems on board Navy ships and subs. EnviroCleanse helps keep our servicemen and women healthier, and it can help you and your family stay healthier too. EnviroCleanse is the only home air purifier that promises better health by keeping your home free of cold and flu viruses. Go to ekpure.com, use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for 30, 30% off your EnviroCleanse home air purification unit. EKPure.com, promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for 30, 30% off. My favorite comment on Friday is from Ulysses Sterling 8659 who says, the silly thing about the Greta AI is that it's so silly that her followers would agree. That's so true. The Greta AI was where she, you know, was developed uh, just by some random computer, but it looked real and convincing. And she said, we need, when we supply the people in war, we need vegan grenades. We need low emission tanks. We need, and you're so right that it took me about halfway through to realize it was fake. But what's even spookier is that some of her followers might not have known because they would probably say those things earnestly. Speaking of guns and weapons, The View, the ladies of The View have an important lesson to teach you about the power of the AR-15 and its uses in hunting. I would love to see an assault weapons ban. Like President Reagan, I don't believe they're a sport or hunting um, uh, instrument. It's like shooting fish in a bucket, but that's my But take. also, if you shoot with an AR-15, let's say you shoot it's a deer, you, you can't can. eat it. Right. Because you basically demolish In addition the to that, but the hunt yeah. is about an actual difficult process, not massacring bodies of any kind. But my point is, I'd love to see that. Joy Behar seems to be confusing an AR-15 with a rocket launcher. <laughs> she's, she seems to be confusing 
an AR-15 with a landmine that would just explode the deer. Ironically, she's somewhat correct in what she said. She said, if you shoot a deer with an AR-15, you won't be able to eat it. And that might be true because the deer might get away because the AR-15 round, the 223, is probably too weak to, at least to humanely, hunt deer. And actually, certain places have restrictions on the AR-15 for hunting deer for precisely that reason. Not because it's going to explode the deer, not because it's... (laughs) I don't know, it's like a heat-seeking missile that just, ex- just explodes and splatters venison all over the place. But because it's, it's a little weak. It's a lot weaker than these people think. They have no idea. Which gets to what I think is beneath a lot of the political dysfunction that we have right now, which is not just evil ideology or uh, the tolerance and encouragement of vice and sin, all of which contribute to our political problems. But the problem of blithe ignorance, the fact that people are just so casually, happily indifferent to knowledge and the truth and skill, it's astounding. You can't can't run a society on bad ideology. It's not going to work out in the end. You also can't just run a society on ideology. You need to possess some degree of of technical knowledge and competence to run a society. It's not enough just to read Karl Marx or just to read Edmund Burke or Aristotle, for that matter. You also need to know how to to do plumbing. You also need to know how to grow food. You also need to know how to perform the basic functions of a society. In a society that doesn't know how guns work, a society that doesn't know how human beings relate to animals, certainly as it regards food production, that society is not going to do well. And you add on top of that bizarre ideologies. Well, I guess actually the, the, the blithe ignorance is a consequence of the, of the ideological age, which tells people that when they go to school, they don't need to learn anything real or substantive. They can just read a bunch of theories disconnected from reality. They can just major in gender studies, to use an off-sided example, and that will prepare them for life. It will not do so. That's what we get on The View. Now, speaking of what people watch on TV, there is a poll that is surprising some people, but not me, that shows that Gen Z, the Zoomers, want fewer sex scenes in movies and TV. What? What's wrong with these kids? They don't want to see a bunch of sex and stuff? No, they don't. You fuddy-duddy kids. You can just hear the voice of Gen X and the boomers and maybe even the millennials now. You can hear that voice of the perpetually cool, you know, everyone from the Woodstock generation down to my own generation. They say, man, you don't want to see sex? Man, sex is cool. You guys are square. Why, what do you mean? Why don't you want to see that? I'll tell you exactly why. So this poll finds that in a survey of 1,500 students, almost half of Zoomers age 13 to 24 said sex is not needed for most TV shows and movies. A significant amount of people, 44%, said that romance is overused as a plot device. Why is that? Well, I'll give you a related note from that same study, and that might explain what's going on here. 
In 2023, more participants in the study wanted to see a white man as the hero. Now, it's different from last year. More participants in the study said they wanted to see a black man as the hero in movies and TV shows. Now they're saying they want to see a white man as the hero. Why? What's going on? Do these kids hate sex? They hate romance? They hate black people or something? No. It gets to exactly what we were talking about at the top of the show. People are being deprived of an important aspect of reality by movies and TV, which are supposed to tell us something about our culture. And because because they're being deprived of that aspect of reality, they want more of it. It's not that they don't want relationships. Even that term is so silly. It's so clinical. It's not that they don't want love. It's not that they don't want romance. It's not even that they don't want sex. But they're inundated with it. It's everywhere. Everything is sexualized. There's ubiquitous porn. People dress like they're auditioning for a strip club everywhere in public. And even in the elementary schools now, you've got sexual indoctrination. You have actual pornography in elementary school libraries now and being assigned by teachers. So we got that. That's taken care of. You know what we don't have in this culture? Any emphasis on friendship, any emphasis on any kind of non-sexual, non-erotic relationship. And so the Zoomers who grew up in this stupid culture come out and they say, yeah, we'd like to see that. How about just like friendship? What is, what is a friend? People are so lonely. They're not lonely because there's any lack of a hookup culture. You, it's easier to hook up today than it ever has been. But it's very hard to make a friend. That's why they want to see that. Why do more study participants want to see a white man as the hero? Because now coming out of Hollywood, you never see a white guy as a hero. The white guy is always the bumbling idiot or the villain. They, they've got, they're only vicious and persons of color are perfect and they have no character flaws and they have no complexity of character whatsoever coming out of Hollywood. So when people see that, they say, wait, that's not really how reality works. Reality is, I think, a little more complex than that. And they, they desire something else. This is the great conservative consolation, as I pointed out before, which is that reality doesn't go away. Even when you live in a highly ideological age, reality is still there and people at least occasionally brush up with reality and they begin to desire some connection between their political order, the entertainment, the laws, the everything, and reality. That's happening again. It's Music Monday, baby. The rest of the show continues. Now, you do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code NOLSCANNERWLAS at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.